Welcome to Closer to Venus. I'm Johnny Burke. Today's guest is Bill Phillips, a psychic medium and author of Signs from the Other Side. He helps people deal with grief of losing loved ones by bringing through validations, evidential information, and messages from spirit. Bill, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. You had an experience with spirits at actually a very young age. What was that like? Yeah, I think for me, it may have been a little bit different than some, but my first recollection of spirit was when I was a child, four, five, six. I remember being in my bedroom before I would fall asleep and seeing faces float around me, actually. And I remember... Of course, it was scary for a child to experience that, and I didn't know what to make of it. And then the faces began to become animated as well and would be mouthing things to me. I didn't know what they were saying, but their mouths would be moving. So I brought that to my mom at the time, and she basically encouraged me that it was from watching too many scary movies. You know, this was during the 80s when Freddy Krueger was very popular, and so I had that as a reference point. And so it actually went away for some time. And it didn't appear again until my mother passed away when I was 14. I remember waking up to her in the room and in that moment, everything, my whole belief system had been completely just shattered because I had been raised religious, you know. Then from that moment forward, that's when my whole perception about spirit changed. Basically almost reactivated for me all of that energy and all of that awareness that I had when I was a child. But it was sort of put on pause until I had my own sort of reference with losing someone close to me. The experience of with spirit spirit or spirits is pretty common for mediumistic people at a young age and then they kind of push it aside and then they revisit it when they get older. I heard that several times. Now, when you saw your mother's spirit, which is pretty heavy experience, obviously. How did you know it was not a dream? That's a great question. For me, I believe it was a matter of awareness. I remember hearing the bed creak on the coils as I sat up, you know, and actually feeling the blankets underneath me and feeling the room around me. And so when I dream, I don't usually have that detail with my physical self. It's usually a different experience. But in that moment, I was, of course, breathing awake in, in my physical body when that happened. So it was pretty evident that it was not a dream. I mean, you pretty much knew it right away. I did. And then after that experience, there were other things that happened as well during that time in that home that completely validated what I had experienced was true in that moment. And one of those experiences was the phone ringing. And so I was staying with my mother's, her fiance's family at the time. And their phone rang and they could hear my mom through the other end of the line. It was a very crackly connection. And she kept repeating my name over the phone to them. So that was another experience that happened within, I'm just going to say, a week or so of that experience. And then, of course, things happening in that house with electricity and the very common telltale signs that spirits around. The, the specter of hearing a deceased loved one's voice over the phone. It's almost like a movie moment. That's almost as frightening as actually seeing a spirit in your room, isn't it? Maybe because you can't see it. 
Yeah, from what I can remember, it was a, you know, just like you had said, a, a movie moment. But also, I think it brought a lot of comfort as well to those that were able to experience it. And something else to keep in mind as well is that that family was very, I would think, would be open to this realm because just two doors down was the famous Amityville house, you know. So, oh. yeah, so I already had a reference for what that meant. But, you know, it was so personal to them and, and so so real. So was the experience with your mom's spirit in that period, was that what inspired you into mediumship? Is that where you got the idea? Did that come later? Well, that's what planted the seed for me. And it was something that was internal for me. I didn't want to rock the boat and scare my family with these experiences because of their religious background. So I kept it to myself. And then other things happened where I was approached by a psychic one time about three weeks later in my hometown where I was where I was raised and she told me I had this amazing gift and that it would be three years until I knew what she was talking about and I thought she was crazy as a 15 year old. It was one of those chuckling kind of moments but literally three years to that moment I found myself in a classroom with other like-minded souls being put to the test and so it was very very true and I would say during those three years from 15 on to my 18th year I had a lot of different experiences at night and I was very attracted to that realm as well. So I found myself reading about this and just not knowing what to make of it, but knowing what my own experience was and how that was my truth. And so that was always my guiding light during that time was my own experiences. What I came to realize is that many of us have had very similar experiences, but we're afraid to reveal them for the same reasons. 20 years ago, this was not as mainstream as it is today. And so there was a lot more people in the closet with this. Yeah. So for me, it was a matter of just basically liberating myself from that fear and judgment and just trusting, trusting spirit along the way, you know. And speaking of spirit, I'm curious to know spirit versus the spirit world. Is it the same thing? Is it different? You know, there's so many different terms used nowadays when it comes to mediumship. But when I think of spirit, I think of just the supreme being, God, the universe, something larger than ourselves that would encapsulate the spirit world as well. Absolutely. And I actually was like, where did this word originally come from? I was looking that, that information up and it's derived from a Latin meaning of breath, to breathe. That to me is complete validation because if you think about what happens when you focus on your breath and you sort of remove everything else around you, you are connected to that supreme being, to that higher self, to the universe when you're present with your breath. And for me personally, my background was in opera performance. I went to a conservatory of music and it was very much based on the same principles of trust in your breath. And I, I found that the exact same principles applied to me connecting with spirit, which was having this enormous amount of trust and really just breathing, taking a breath, you know, which sounds so simple. It's really not. Many people don't actually breathe the Way that we should be breathing. If it were that simple, everyone would know how to meditate because meditation <laughs> is like the cornerstone of everything important as far as getting to our spiritual ground. It's interesting, though, that the word spirit is based on a Latin word for breath. 
Now, for someone who wants to be a medium, as long as they have the intent and the desire to work, is this something pretty much anyone can do? Or or is it more of a thing where you have to have the predisposition towards that or just born with it? No, I I believe just like any other type of ability or gift that we come into this world to share that. And so for some people, it's going to be channeled through a way of being a doctor, for example, or maybe a psychologist or a dentist. But when it comes to this type of connection, I do believe that we all have the ability to be aware of spirit. And that's part of why we're here as well, because we're here for such a short time to be able to understand our connection to the divine and to spirit. But I I don't believe that everyone should be out there wanting to to be a medium. And the reason for that is it's a great responsibility. And it also requires a lot of, I, I would say, sacrifice as well. It's not just a novelty by any means. And when it's done properly, it has the ability to change lives and, and bring about a lot of peace and healing. So, no, I really don't think that everyone should be on that level. But I know the excitement that the masses feel when they see that connection happen. You know, they want to replicate that on some level or it feels so encouraging to them. But I, I believe that we're here to be able to experience spirit in whichever way is natural for us. And for some, it'll be much stronger than others. Or, you know, for a large handful of us, it'll be our calling. I know for myself, I can say very candidly and honestly that when I was younger, I never sought out to be a medium. It wasn't even part of my reference. You know, it was something that, that literally plucked me and, and, and pulled me and that gravitated towards me. So I would say to anyone who is listening to this right now to pay attention to the intent behind it and also pay attention to the signs that are surrounding you and the experiences and the people because you will know if it's being set up for you. I know in in my case, everything was set up so effortlessly on their end where all I had to do really was just step out of the closet and own that and just have that conviction behind me and then the rest of it unfolded very naturally. I've been told that a lot of people that want to be mediums, speaking of which, are not developed near enough where they can be qualified, say, from the Forever Family Foundation or other organizations similar to that. When someone approaches you to contact a loved one, what can they realistically expect? And can you give us an example of what a session looks like or sounds like? Oh, absolutely. This is why my first book was entitled Expect the Unexpected, because I first gave myself permission to do this. I I wasn't sure what was going to happen. It was like an experiment for me every time. And I really do believe that that's still the case now that I set an intention and then I'm basically focusing and, and channeling. And for each person that will look differently. But in my case, though, the intention is to bring through evidence as well that this person has a specific loved one in spirit, what memories they share together, the family connections, special meaningful dates of significance, things that have tangible evidence behind it. I'm a Virgo, so by nature, I'm very analytical and very critical. And so for me, I needed to have that concrete evidence. And I'll give you an example, because when I'm working with somebody, there's really no time. Time is a man-made construct. So a lot of times, they'll bring through a piece of evidence that has a lot more meaning 
after the fact. And this just happened um, a few weeks ago, but I read for a mother and daughter just like this over, over the computer and the daughter's grandmother came through very strongly. It was the mom's mom. She basically wanted to give her her blessing about an upcoming wedding. And so without giving me any information, her grandmother was able to bring through this congratulatory message about who she was marrying down to his name, actually. And then she actually talked about the something blue that she had of hers. And at the time, the daughter did not know what I was talking about. And the mom had to kind of play it quiet because it was a surprise to the daughter. And so she wrote to me after the fact to say to me, you know, you talked about this blue heart that was going to be sewn on to something. And I couldn't validate that in the second to you because it would give away what I had done for my daughter. And she had two days earlier had just brought her mother's blue blanket or blue shirt, I'm forgetting exactly what it was, to get altered to be sewn onto her wedding dress. And so she sent me that message and she sent me a picture of it and everything like that on social media. So that's what I mean. Every session is going to look differently. It, it could also be a, a spouse coming through apologizing for what they did or for maybe taking their own life as well. So it just really depends on the scenario. Because I lost my mom to her addictions of life, alcoholism, drug use, I see that there's a lot of pull towards spirits that have gone that way. So I feel like they have a trust within me because they know that I've experienced it on my end. And that because of that, there's no judgment. You know, I understand exactly what they've gone through. And so I find a lot of the time that those souls gravitate toward me as well. But every session will look different depending on the person's need and also their connection to that person in spirit as well. It's interesting when someone comes to you with a loved one that committed suicide or had a struggle with addiction and so on, they obviously want to know if that person, whatever the relation was, if they're okay. If you have a spirit come through, do you get a sense that they died in a certain manner? Yes. And do you find that many of them are okay? They're not burning in hell. They're not in purgatory. What is that like? Absolutely. Yeah. So this all goes back to when I was 18 and I was put to the test on a random stranger in this metaphysical classroom setting. And I remember in that moment holding this woman's hand and in my mind's eye, seeing this little table overflowing with pills. And that symbol for me has strengthened over time and I can recognize it instantly. What they show me are pills in the hand and that's their way of telling me addiction or overdose. When they give that to me, and it usually happens pretty quickly in that connection, I'm able to know exactly what's going on. And then once I connect with the soul in that capacity, then they just basically are going to continue that dialogue with me or, or strengthening that validation for who's in front of me. But a lot of times what they've shown me, and it really depends on a suicide versus an overdose and the circumstances behind those events, but they will show me that they were freed from their pain as well. Or some will show me that once they left their body, they saw what happened and they realized that there was this free will behind it. And so they have to basically sit in that energy and understand why they made the decision that they made. But I would not equate that by any means to somebody being in hell or purgatory. I believe that that basically is our human experience to an extent, that the earth itself is that sort of playground of heaven or hell. And it's really a choice in which that you choose 
choose to represent when you're here. With this kind of experience, which is pretty incredible, it never ceases to amaze me that people can actually do this, but what kind of insight has it given you into the afterlife? What really happens when we die, maybe even reincarnation? I love that question. It really gives me a knowing that life is a lot different in spirit than we're experiencing right now. There are no political parties on the other side. And there's no judgment. When we're here in a physical shell, we encompass the physical emotions that come along with that, which are the ego first of all, and also the ego, the anger, the rejection, the the sadness, the depression, the feelings of failure, all of these, all of these feelings are earthbound. So when we leave the armor behind, we're just our spirit, the light that encapsulates that being, and that light cannot bring the weight of that ego to the other side, if that makes any sense. So it's a great explanation. Yeah. And so those things are, are left here. And as far as reincarnation, I, I know my truth and I know what spirit has shown me over the years. It's absolutely real. And I feel like we, we travel in groups together, you know, and we have these, we have these sort of lessons that we've come to learn here. And when we're here, someone might have a spiritual understanding or contract that they're going to be here for a short time as well. Now, of course, this is all going to be unconscious or subconscious, but on a soul level, or someone else might decide to stay here till they're 99 as well. It just depends on, on the intent, you know, so I believe that we all come in with an intent of how we're going to serve here in the physical. And then I believe too, that there's not really a rule book to how soon somebody can come back. I would say that I've probably had a handful of people in spirit express how that works. And also in the sense of they came back a lot sooner than later. So I have seen some examples of a grandmother coming through or someone higher coming through talking about this child that passed at an early age has come back as the next child, for example. Really? Yes. But within my experience, what typically happens is that if your parents cross before you do, they're, they're going to be assisting you from the other side. They're going to be guiding you on some level. And then when you cross, then you're going to be doing it again with the next of kin. So maybe that's the grandkids. So it's usually about two generations or so until everyone comes back together again and has a meeting for lack of better words as to okay is it time now are we going to come back what will our roles be this time around so it all has to do really with evolution and with understanding you know truly and the only way that a soul can have that understanding is to be in this environment what you just mentioned about the soul groups makes a lot of sense because we've all heard that over and over again. Do you also get an impression of the soul contracts, meaning which I think is where the intent comes from, right? Yes. Do you get a sense of those kind of agreements from spirit? Yes, it's really, it goes down to each experience that I have with spirit. But yes, countless times they have brought through the fact that their assignment was to be here to teach their family about this lesson or or this lesson and why they chose to go at an earlier time. So they basically do 
typically explain why, you know, why they left when they did. And I think that's the hardest part for us as well being here in a physical body is that, yeah, on a soul level, we can conceptualize spirit and we know that there's another realm that we go to. But on a physical ego level, it doesn't take away the separation or the pain that we feel. You know what I mean? So I feel like it's so important to have that explanation when it's needed the most. It is needed, and but it's usually needed by those people that are actually looking for it. Searchers, seekers, that type of thing. Now, the pandemic has obviously changed our lives in countless ways. I don't know if you do in-person meetings anymore, but are the online meetings just as effective or not necessarily? You know, for me, I had been doing virtual sessions way before the pandemic began, you know, so I feel like it's something that's a comfort level for the person who's coming in for that experience. And so during the pandemic, I have very much pulled back seeing clients in my office in person. I will do it if there's ground rules and everyone's being respectful, but I would say I probably am doing about 90% of my work rate now virtually. And I I also have clients as well that I've worked with over the years that will only do a phone session with me as well, because they feel the evidence is for them incredible because I can't see them physically. So if someone brings through what's going on in front of them in that moment, that's validation and evidence for them as well. So I really just think it depends on each person's personality and what what makes them feel comfort in those moments and, and connection in those moments. Right. On your end, though, you feel that it works just as good. I actually prefer to be in my home office versus going to my to my public office because I, this is my sacred space as well. There's something very personal and sacred about being in your own sacred space versus being in a public space too. So for me personally, I, I've always enjoyed doing it this way. For me, there's no limitation at all. And I really do believe that that verifies that There's no separation with energy. We're all connected. So in those moments, that validation is is very powerful. One-on-one sessions, which obviously that's probably the norm for most people, versus group sessions, say three family members. Would you recommend they do it individually or in a group or does it not really matter? That's a great question. I believe it depends on the intention as well. I know that I do a lot of group readings right now in this capacity. And for a lot of people, they feel a comfort having their families together present for that. Now, it doesn't mean that that soul is going to connect with each person in that room for that experience. But the people that they're connecting with and the evidence and the message that they're sending is felt across the whole room by each person. And that really goes as well with an audience reading or a virtual group reading too. I believe that when I'm setting this up for the general public, that the other side is already in cahoots to orchestrate these connections. So when I do a public group session. I do them with eight people typically to have the intimacy of that experience. And nine times out of 10, there's a incredible parallel between these participants where you know how there's the little boxes in Zoom where the person right next to them has lost their father in the exact same way. They share the same namesake, things that are just so incredible to witness that really shows us that they are in the background 
orchestrating these connections. And it doesn't just mean for a reading per se. This could be you going to the store and bumping into someone that you haven't seen in 20 years because it reminds you of your mom that you lost during that time. So it just depends on on the scenario. But I love how spirit comes together to orchestrate those parallels. And it happens a lot too in the grander scheme of the larger audience readings. I haven't done that part um, virtually at this point yet, because technically I want to ensure that there's not going to be chaos with hundreds of participants being able to raise their hand virtually or something along those lines. So for me, that's the only difference with the in-person is that there's no barrier with someone trying to raise their hand, you know, to say, that's my dad, or that's for me. But when you have it in this kind of format on a computer this way, hasn't felt to me like the right fit yet. But that might change over time. But for now, I like I like sticking to my more intimate connections. In some cases, do you think it might be better for, let's say someone who wants to contact a loved one, just wait until the pandemic's over or... It just depends really on on their need. I would say if they're able to have an open heart and an open mind, then, then trust technology because we're able to connect on this level. But as well, sometimes it takes, from a grief perspective, it takes some time for us to be in the right space to hear that message as well. If if somebody is in a really deep grief space, it doesn't matter what you share with them, they're not going to be able to receive it until they're ready. Good point. So if it's been, let's say, years... Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And during the pandemic, too, I've had a lot of what I call newbies that will come through those souls that have passed within months, sometimes even down to days, actually, it just depends on the scenario and the eagerness of that soul to make that connection. There really is no rule book to this. And that's always been my sort of belief system is not to put rules, you know, because then I think that that has a tendency to block a connection from happening. When it's organic and when it's something that you have deep within yourself, nothing can really surpass that. So when, when I teach about this as well, I always encourage people, let go of what you think should be rules and just connect with yourself. You know the answers more than you think you do. What information do we have to provide or not provide in order for a medium to contact our loved ones? When I do a private reading, so the only thing that I ask for in the beginning of that private reading is just the first name. The reason that I ask for that is because it basically shows spirit who I'm working with in that moment, okay? So if I say, okay, I'm going to be connecting with you individually, and okay, spirit, I'm reading for Johnny right now, then everyone else that's not connected to Johnny is going to, for the most part, be respectful of that experience and hold off for a second, you know? and let me connect with their people. And, you know, it really just depends, too, because there are many scenarios where I'll be doing a reading for, like, three or four people, and I won't know the rest of their names. I'll just know the person that is in front of me who's booked the appointment's name. But the other side has a way of doing what they do so beautifully to validate the other people as well in that space. So I would say, for me personally, less is more. I don't want to know a 
thing about your past. Don't tell me who you want to connect with. That information should come through organically. When we talk about connecting or you connecting with a spirit or spirits, have you ever had contact with beings that were not of this earth? Beings from a different planet, maybe. So what I can say is that in a personal one-to-one reading, I have not had that experience because my intention is to connect with souls that have crossed over. But in my own meditative practices, though, I have had unworldly experiences that are not just human-based or even soul-based. But when I was younger, I remember as an 18-year-old and coming into this, there was so much excitement and I wanted to just blow that door wide open into every possible genre, you know, of metaphysics. I remember doing house clearings for people and trying to help souls cross over. And I learned very quickly that the paranormal in that regard was not for me at all. It was very draining for me. It had a level of of fear to it as well because of, of how things would react around you physically. And that wasn't really my intent. My intent was wanting to let people know here that their loved ones are not gone, that they're right by their side. You know what I mean? And so I had to make that sort of arrangement and intention with my boundary, for lack of a better word, with myself at an earlier age that this is my realm and this is what I do. And there's different people for different scenarios. But those beings do exist from your experience. Yes, they do. All right. Do you think some of them are a little scary? I'm not trying to conjure any dark magic or anything like that. No, it really just depends. I, I believe that there are what I would call dark digits. And these are, I always give the analogy of, of the movie Ghost, where those dark colored leeches kind of crawl up on the people and pull them underground. It's a similar feeling. There are these sort of dark digits. With light, there is dark. And, and they do exist. And I feel like if we're not really putting in the spiritual and emotional work as far as hygiene is concerned, protecting yourself, you know, setting the intention that they respond to your vibration. So if someone's in a really low space, let's say they're going through like a depression, and they have no opinion in that moment, because they're just so low, they are attracting that same energy to them in that moment. And that's where we hear of people becoming possessed as well, things like that, because just energetically, their defenses are down. Same thing, you know, when your immune system is down, you're going to get a virus. So I think it just depends on the situation. But yes, of course, I think for anyone to say that that doesn't exist is a little bit silly, personally, because yeah. of what, especially what, what we're experiencing now, too. Yeah, absolutely. That's pretty consistent from what I've heard, especially about the protection. It's very important to protect yourself and set the attention that you only want light energy, you only want light workers, you only want people on the light team, nobody else. Yeah, otherwise, you're going to have this universal remote where you can go back forwards into any kind of channel and it's like using a Ouija board you know the Ouija board has a has a negative rep because it's always seen in like horror movies and it has this negative connotation and the reason for that is because you have no control over what channel you're accessing that's right I knew that as a kid I just never liked that vibe yes speaking of vibe there is a lot of discussion these days about ascension, awakening, moving from the third dimension to the fourth and the fifth and moving away from the masculine to the feminine energy. What has your experience with mediumship and spirit informed you about that, if at all? 
Yeah, that is also a great question. And I do believe that the past two years more than ever have shown us breaking that paradigm from 3D to 4D or 5D. And really what it comes down to is a soul recognition that shows us that we are not just our physical self, that we're connected on even a telepathic level, an energetic level, where we come from, you know, whether you're a star seed or, or however old you are on that cosmic level. It's really taking away that veil of rationality that separates us and causes fear and war and all those things. So really what Spirit has shown me about that over a long period of time was to create your version of heaven on earth, what you want to experience here. That's always been my intention. And it's always been very successful for me because I have not let other outside influences swayed me in a different direction. And so I I really do believe that that's what we're experiencing right now on a larger level. And I believe that will continue, but I don't think it has to be necessarily this woo-woo type of conversation. I think it's much more simplistic than that. And it really just goes down to having your own belief system. Okay, that makes a lot of sense to me. Bill, thanks for joining us today. How can our listeners learn more about you and your practice? Well, thanks for having me, Johnny. Everyone can reach me at my website. It's BillPhillips.com and Phillips is spelled with one L and two P's, so it's P-H-I-L-I-P-P-S or you'll get someone else completely different in your search. Excellent. I will put that into the show notes as well. You've been listening to Closer to Venus. I'm Johnny Burke. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing. If you really liked it, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next time.